Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat, part of the Triple Play Fantasy Network. Thanks for joining us. On this episode, we are going to be talking all things Texas Rangers, an exciting team with lots of fantasy-relevant players. We'll be interviewing Levi Weaver, who covers the Rangers for The Athletic, and then myself and my co-host, Mike Carter, will be breaking down all of that information from a fantasy perspective. Before we get started, I'm just going to put a quick disclaimer out there. My voice may be a little bit more nasally and annoying than it normally is. Frankly, I don't know how anybody listens to my voice on a good day. My body shudders every time I play back one of these episodes and listens to myself. God bless all of you for hanging in there. But yeah, I'm a little congested, not feeling 100%. I know I'm fighting something off. My house has been absolutely ravaged by every respiratory illness known to man. This year, we've hit the trifecta of COVID, RSV, and flu which I feel like you should get some type of reward or at least unlock a bonus in this silly simulation that we're in. But man, it's just been brutal. Last night was the first night I slept well in about a month. And I know it's not just me. Everybody I talk to is sick or has a sick kid or or something going on. It's gotten so bad you can't even get a bottle of Tylenol or Motrin for your kids anymore. I drove around all morning the other day, went to gas stations, pharmacies, grocery stores, and finally found one bottle of ibuprofen at the dollar effing general. Might as well have been the billion dollar general because I felt like I hit the damn lotto. Y'all are worried about closer scarcity right now. Us parents are worried about medication scarcity. But I'll be honest, I'm not even going to give it to my kids. I am going to hold on to it as a bargaining chip if I need to make a midseason trade in one of my leagues. So if one of my closers goes down, I'm going to trade you ibuprofen for your Edwin Diaz, straight up. But anyway, I'm just going to push through. You know, we got to put our content out there. This might be like my Jordan flu game, elevating over Byron Russell for that game winner. I don't know what the equivalent of that would be on a fantasy baseball podcast. Let a man dream. I'm joined by a man who knows a thing or two about Chicago, my co-host, Mike Carter. Mike, tell me two things. Where were you? When Jordan hit that game winner in 1997, and just as a follow-up to what I was talking about before, has your household been able to stay relatively healthy through this hellish winter that we've been having? Well, in the uh, summer of 97, I was a young man sitting there with some of my friends at a friend's house, imbibing a little too much, having some terrible snacks, watching Jordan throw down 38 on uh the jazz that night and pushing off of uh, Brian Russell there at the end to uh, make his uh, dagger shot. And I remember at the end of it, just going off on everybody in the, in the room and saying, that's it. He's, he's going to walk away. He should just walk away right now, which he did. Then, you know, came back and I don't think he really tarnished his legacy. I mean, I still think I'm a Homer. I still think MJ is the best player to ever have played in the NBA. Uh, I'll stand by that. Uh, anybody who wants to come at me with LeBron, we can talk about it. I'm open-minded. 
but I'm going to go with MJ on this one, even though I'm a Chicago guy. And to answer your other question about illness, well, I'll let, let me leave it to you this way. My daughter was just on a week-long orchestra trip to Disney World uh, with our local Batavia, town of Batavia, orchestra kids and choir kids and band kids, and had two 24-hour bus rides uh, in the last week. So I'll let you figure out how everybody's feeling at my house. Um, there is definitely some type of respiratory thing going around. Uh, lucky for me, because I, I tend to isolate. <laughs> I'm after long days of work and read my baseball forecaster and talk to you guys and, and talk about baseball stuff. Uh, I haven't gotten it yet, but Katie and uh, Ellie and Jack have been kind of passing it back and forth to each other all week. So not, not the situation you've been in Torres, uh, but uh, you know, we've, we're having similar issues here too. So. Yeah, man. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're doing better than me. Um, Cause it is, it's been really tough, but um, yeah, let's, uh, Let's cut right right to the chase here. Um, talk about the Texas Rangers. So we're going to have Levi on in, in a few minutes. And like I mentioned at the top, uh, there's some really interesting players on this team. So, what, uh, Mike, what are you hoping to learn from this interview? And, and what are you looking forward to most about it? Well, you know, one of the things that I find really interesting is the, the amount of money that the Rangers have spent in the last two off seasons. is pretty staggering. And... I'm not sure that they're any more than the third best team in their division. So I'll be interested to see what Levi has to say about that. Um, if, if he thinks that I'm wrong or if he thinks that that's a legitimate claim, um, I'll be interested to hear about that. And I think the other thing that I'm really interested in hearing about is, um, what Bruce Bochy is going to bring to this team. You know, he's, he's got three World Series titles to his name. It's been a while, uh, not as long as it was for Tony LaRusso, which we'll, we're going to forget about that. We're not going to talk about that anymore. Um, but I want to know what he thinks Bochy's going to bring to the table there because the, the Rangers have not exactly been a good team the last few years, uh, despite their $561 million spending spree last year. And then, uh, another 200 and some million on top of that this year, uh, 263 million this year. So let's get to it. Let's see what he has to say about it. I'm interested. All right. So let's bring him in. Levi Weaver, uh, of the athletic beat writer for the Texas Rangers. Levi, thank you so much for joining us. And can you just start out by telling Mike that he's wrong? Because I, I like telling Mike that he's wrong. <laughs> he doesn't even know what he's saying I'm wrong to yet, Torres. Yeah, it, just, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you guys are just bringing me right into the war here. I feel like I've, 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 I've got the, the Harry Potter sorting hat and I've just been asked to join Team Torres here. That's right. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I think the question, if I heard it right, was uh, are the Rangers any better than the third best team in the AL West? Am I did I did I get that right? Yeah, that's the gist of it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, until they prove otherwise, sure. Uh, the Mariners took big steps forward last season. Uh, they didn't do a whole lot this offseason, but they kind of didn't have to. Um, and until the Astros are not the reigning world champions, I think they have to be considered the the, the favorites. So yeah, I mean, the the Rangers are are looking to leapfrog the Angels. Um, that seems doable because the angels have been cursed for years and years and somehow never can manage to put it together despite having two of the best baseball players of all time. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I mean, Julio Rodriguez is super exciting. The Mariners had such a great year last year. Um, it was actually ironically uh, just outside the visitors clubhouse at angel stadium when they hit that home run to, to finally go to the playoffs. Um, it was, that was, we were all just sort of hoping that, 
clubhouse would wait and that we wouldn't get to go in until the game was over. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a fair claim, but they've sure taken some steps to try and throw that narrative off. I mean, that's been a big offseason. Yeah, well, let's start with their their biggest uh, acquisition of the offseason, and, and that's Jacob deGrom. Mm-hmm. So would uh like to get your thoughts on the signing and I guess his outlook and from a fantasy perspective, you know, we all want to know how much are, is he going to pitch, right? I mean, is he, I, I know, listen, they paid him so much money that they can't really baby him and they really need him to be competitive in that division. So just want to get your perspective. If you have any insight into, you know, how the Rangers view him at the top of their rotation. Yeah. I think they're in an interesting position with him. Um, because like you said, they can't, they can't baby him to win. Uh, they need him to, to pitch a full workload, but if they don't baby him, is he going to pitch like 10 games this year? And you know, that's, that's worse. I think all along the, the sort of timeline seems to have been, they wanted to improve last year, which they did technically, you know, they lost a lot of one run games. They were better than the year before, um, but they, they still were bad contend for a playoff spot this year and then really go for it in 24. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a scenario where they do maybe kind of baby him a little bit this year, just to sort of try and get a healthy season under his belt and then really, you know, push the gas pedal down in 2024. But um, yeah, you're never going to get a straight answer talking to the player or the person who just signed off on a paycheck of that size. They're all like, yeah, he's up healthy like he's like right. yeah i feel great i'm gonna i'm gonna pitch 32 starts right yeah okay i hope you're right uh everybody hopes you're right except for mets fans but <laughs> um but yeah it's that's the big risk i mean you you've identified it I, I wish i had a better answer for you than just like yes you're asking the right question um but yeah i mean who knows he if he, the rangers <clears throat> the rangers made a big trade a couple of years ago and brought in Corey Kluber and he was meant to be their like new stud guy. And, and I, Corey Kluber is not Jacob deGrom. I get it. He was coming off a bad year in Cleveland. deGrom's coming off being like, you know, the best pitcher in the world when he's on the mound. Kluber pitched one inning for the Rangers mm-hmm. and that was it. So it's not like this franchise hasn't seen the worst case scenario uh, in, I mean, in recent memory, you could say that they are due for some good luck, but, you know, you know how that works. So, um, so yeah, they, they need, they need him to pay off. They, they need that risk to pay off for him. And uh, frankly, the same goes for Andrew Heaney, who mm-hmm. was really good as a Dodger last year, but 72 innings, I think. Um, they just signed Nathan Eovaldi. How do we feel about him holding up? Uh, and Martin Perez had a career year last year. It's 196 innings. He made his first all-star game. That's great. Can you do it again? Yeah. <laughs> Just a, as a quick follow-up, um, you know, and, and that's interesting. You bring up those three names and all three of them have a significant amount of risk attached to them. Do you see anything from an organizational perspective that the Rangers are doing or, um, you know, that, that may help to keep these players on the field? They have done a lot of work. You know, they they had that program a few years ago, the deload program that just really backfired on them with their guys. Where they, when they were drafted, their high school guys, they didn't let them pitch for a while. 
They just basically told them, go work out. And then they brought them back too fast. And you saw a higher than usual number of guys that ended up having to get Tommy John surgery. And there was, they did not have the, the chronic workload to kind of keep those muscles uh, in condition. And so when they came back out and started pitch, started pitching again, it backfired. Uh, I, I think the team, obviously no team wants their guys to get Tommy John. It's like, there's, you're not going to find a major league team. Like not even the Marlins are out there going, I don't care, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I think that was a little bit of a wake up call of like, okay, well that definitely didn't work. Let's try something different. Um, they've had reasonably good luck, you know, Corey Kluber aside, they've had reasonably good luck with guys coming back. So, you know, Mike Miner is I think, a good example of a guy who had a lot of injury history before had been a relief pitcher, Wanted to be a starter, and the team went, "Yeah, we can we can keep you healthy. We're going to really reduce your workload here. Uh, the first year in, you're going to be really frustrated. You're going to walk off the mound every night, just you know, kicking the dirt and swearing. But you're going to thank us in the long run." And that worked. You know, Lance Lynn came in, really good success with Lance Lynn. Kyle Gibson was a better pitcher in mm-hmm. Texas than he'd been before and has been since. So they've had some success with starting pitchers. I mean, even Martin Perez, who the problem was up here before he left. Um, is this all going to be video or is this just audio? I, I'm pointing to my head. I don't know if the um, audio. Okay. I, I'm pointing to my head listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Perez's problem was all in his head before. Um, but when he came back, you know, big success his first year back in Texas. So there is, um, a little bit of track record of them having success with it. I couldn't tell you exactly what it is or, you know, what methods they're using. Um, but it does seem to be working reasonably well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, they're going to have to count on that to, to apply. We haven't even talked about John Gray yet, who right. might have the least amount of risk on in the rotation. And he still hit the, the injured list a couple of times last year. So mm-hmm. it's, they are, uh, they, they are right now throwing a bunch of chips on the table, setting the table on fire and being like, this is either going to work or we're going down in flames, baby, let's go. <laughs> the thing that I really find interesting about, about that too, is that, they have a lot of depth all of a sudden in mm-hmm. the pitching, like especially in the rotation. I mean, well, I'm going to ask you about the bullpen in a little bit, but you know, you talk, you brought up John Gray, you brought up Eovaldi, you brought up Andrew Heaney, you brought back, they brought back Martin Perez, but then they also have Jake Odorizzi, who's got a mm-hmm. lot of experience starting, Glenn Otto, who showed some uh, potential, and our old Chicago friend uh, Dunning as well, mm-hmm. Dane Dunning. Um, do you think that maybe part of what they're thinking is Levi is? If Degrom and Eovaldi and, and Heaney need to have some time on the IL, that they've got enough guys to be able to kind of make some starts there in the middle for them, uh, if those guys should go down or need a phantom break. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you can count Cole Reagan's in that group too. He spent the last half of the last year in the big leagues. Um, not that you, if you're pushing for a playoff spot, do you want to subtract Jacob Degrom and add? Dane Dunning, like probably not. And I don't mean that as any offense, offense to Dane Dunning. I think he would also tell you that he's not Jacob DeGrom. But yeah, it is. It absolutely is depth. Um, and it's, it, you know, Owen White's not too far off. Cole Wynn's probably not too far off. I think he probably took a step back last year, but not too far off. And in a year or so, you've got Jack Leiter. You've got maybe Kumar Rocker coming up. Ricky Venasco has looked really good in the minor leagues at times. I think they thought Mason Englert was going to clear the Rule 5 draft. He didn't. Uh, but I'd be surprised if he sticks to the big leagues with the Tigers all year long. So it's not just depth at the, you know, at the big league level. They've got some depth through AAA and AA as well, which is, I mean, 
kudos to them for assembling that level of depth. But you're absolutely right. That's going to be very relevant when it comes to, you know, hedging their bets on, on the health of these guys that they've, that they've signed. Out of those pitchers uh, that were just mentioned, is there one of them that you think could really surprise us this coming year? Surprise good or surprise bad? Well, I guess both. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Glenn Otto is a really interesting one because he didn't walk a lot of guys in the minor leagues before he got to the big leagues. Mm -hmm. And then he got to the big leagues and walks were a little bit of an issue for him. So um, if he can clean up those walks, now he's not going to be the ace of a rotation. I I don't think that was ever in the works for him. Um, But could he be a solid three if he's not walking guys? Sure, it could be that. I think that's probably a, a good ceiling for him. Um, as far as surprise guys, I think it probably depends on how closely you follow prospects. I would not at all be surprised to see Owen White in the big leagues at some point this year. Um, he looked really, really good in the minor leagues last year. So I think he might be the, the dark horse candidate to actually get some meaningful uh, rotation innings this year. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of depth to work through first. We still don't know if they're going to trade some of those guys for a left fielder, though. You know, mm-hmm. it depends on what, you know, maybe Pittsburgh, their ask for Brian Reynolds has been really high, but do they panic at the last minute and go, look, we know you don't want to be here. <laughs> fine. Okay, fine. We'll take Glenn Otto and, you know, Ezekiel Duran and, you know, three other guys. It won't be that. It'll be bigger names than that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, some of those guys could be included in in a trade package to go ahead and solidify the lineup a little bit too. For sure, makes sense. Yeah, me yeah, and Glenado have a particularly close relationship, Mike. I mean, I added and dropped him last year in fantasy about a hundred times. So me and him are—I uh, know him well. Um, maybe not right, as well. Just, just right there on that verge. Yeah. And I, I think if the Rangers were playing fantasy baseball, they probably would have done the same thing. You know, you'd, you'd have an outing or two where you're like, "That—that—that's it. You—you did it." You're, right. you, yes, do that again. And then the next outing, if he would precisely do not that again. So, <laughs> uh, which he's young, you know, it takes guys a while to get consistency. I had a conversation with Austin Bibbins Dirks, uh, if that's a name you remember from a few years ago. He oh, was yeah, a sure. journeyman, cool name, like who has the last name of Bibbins Dirks with an X at the end, um, but just had been so through so much crap in his professional career that he was just extremely down to earth like he basically he looked like a plumber like he looked like he was the guy in the clubhouse who was there to fix the pipes <laughs> and um very approachable a lot of good conversations and there was a game when the rangers were in washington they were taking on max scherzer and they were they just had this rotation crunch with guys either getting hurt or you know some scheduling thing <clears throat> and it was austin bibbins dirks who was 33 years old or whatever this journeyman who had played for, I think, like 16 different professional teams uh, in a number of different countries against Max Scherzer. And so the question was like, okay, how, how much are they going to lose by? It, it's 12 to 1, 15 to 1. Are we going are we to have a close one and make it 7-4? And Scherzer gave up a couple of runs. And Bibbins Dirks had the game of his life. And he went out and shut the, the Nationals down. They win the game. Um, he was a little shaky in the first inning and then, then they couldn't touch him. Like he just, he looked like an absolute ace out there and he beat Max Scherzer. And I talked to him about it when he, when the team got home, I wasn't on that trip. And I said, dude, like, what was that? Like, where did that come from? Why aren't you doing that all the time? And he said, 
uh, and I'm, I'm butchering this quote, it's, so I'm just going to paraphrase it, but something along the lines of, you don't make it to the big leagues if you can't have days like that. Mm-hmm. Anybody that has made it to the big leagues is capable of having a day like that. What separates guys like me from guys like Max Scherzer is he has days like that consistently. Like he does that every time he goes out. And if he doesn't have his best stuff, he finds a way to be Max Scherzer every day. I'm working with a lot less, but once in a while, I'm going to put it all together and have a day like that. So yeah, Glenn Otto, like, could he have a, could he pitch a no hitter in the big leagues? Sure. He could. You don't count on him for it. Like he, you know, you hope that he makes it consistently enough to be a number three starter and finding that consistency is just as important for big league guys as you know, finding a slider that moves at a certain spin rate or whatever, like once in a while, you're going to get that DeGrom slider from some generational talent. But most guys, it's can I bring this pretty okay slider and make it the best that I can do it every time? And and that takes time to learn. So I'm not worried that Glenn Otto is never going to make it as a consistent starting pitcher. This just takes a while. Man, that's a great story. You know, it reminds me of the quote from Moneyball, you know, how can you not be romantic about baseball, right? I mean, yeah. on any given day, anybody, you know, anybody that's there has the ability to do that. Um, shifting gears a little bit, Levi, you know, I I write about bullpens for fan tracks, which is a fool's errand, obviously. Um, <laughs> what do you see happening with this bullpen? I mean, I think, uh, you know, obviously oh, – <laughs> it's bad that it's bad that the that the guest is laughing already, Torres. Um, but you know, I, I, a lot of people I think were you know looking at that over the last couple of years. It was Barlow, then you know maybe it was Leclerc, maybe it was Hernandez, then back to Leclerc. Maybe it was uh, you know Matt Moore. Um, what do you think they're going to do here? I mean, obviously they've spun they've spent more than uh, almost eight hundred million dollars in the last two years on free agents, but haven't addressed this spot. Mm-hmm. How do you see that moving forward here as they go to spring training? Do you think that Leclerc is going into it with the job, or do you think that they're going to try to bring somebody else in to compete with them? You guys don't think Kyle Funkhauser is going to make the team out of out of camp? I, I think he will make the team. I actually like Kyle Funkhauser. I saw you put it on Twitter um, yesterday, and yeah. I think I think he's, he was good the last time he played. He was. He was. I don't think he's a closer, though. Um, no. You know, I don't know that I've ever seen a more impressive stretch from a Rangers closer since I've been covering the team. I'm not saying ever. Neftali Feliz was electric, but I started covering the team in 2016. I think the strongest stretch I've ever seen from a closer was in 2018 when the Rangers traded Keone Kella to the Pirates and Leclerc took over as the closer. And he, he was a phantom out there. Like he would, he had these, he calls it the slombio. It's like a a slider combio, slider change up combination but he throws two different ones one breaks right and the other breaks left and they look the same until they get you know until you start your swing and then it just sort of seems to make up its mind in the air like ah, i'll go the other way um he was filthy and then of course had tommy john surgery came back last year and even before the tommy john surgery frankly in 2019 in the closer role it looked like it his mind blew up a little bit like he would he would uncork a pitch once in a while that just, it looked like, um, it, it looked like Henry Roengartner from rookie of the year, throwing the ball back in from center field. You know, you're just like, okay, wow, you, you threw that really hard. Uh, it would have been cool if you had aimed for the catcher's mitt though. I think let's do that next time. Um, so it's in there, uh, you know, as we talk about consistency and he looked pretty good when he came back last year from Tommy John surgery. So I think 
barring some trade or barring some, I don't even know what closers are still on the market. Uh, I don't think there's that many. It's probably the clerk. Um, Jonathan Hernandez, I think has the stuff to be a closer. And so if he's your eighth inning guy, great. Um, But after that, man, it does get a little dicey. I don't think Joe Barlow should be a closer. He did have flashes last year where he put it together and looked pretty good in the ninth inning. But if he's your sixth or seventh inning guy, I think that's a better fit for him. So you're kind of starting to see the the shape of it a little bit. And, you know, is that a playoff bullpen? Maybe not. Where the Rangers' bullpen strength lies really is in their long guys. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, if they don't go with a six-man rotation, which I don't think they've eliminated as an option yet, um, given the risk to all these starting pitchers we talked about. But I think Odorizzi probably profiles as a really good three-inning guy. You know, he, he definitely suffers the further into the, you know, times around the order he gets. Um, Taylor Hearn struggled as a starter last year, but once he got to the bullpen, was very effective. And then Brock Burke, like, mm-hmm. came back from shoulder surgery and looked like a world beater last year. So that's that's some guys. You, I, I think I've named, uh, what, six now at this point? And then you go, okay, well, Josh Spores, can he figure out how to throw strikes? Um, let's see. Den- Dennis Santana. I always say Danny Santana because he always played for the Rangers. To also <laughs> played for the Rangers. Um, Dennis Santana's with the Braves. He's gone. They've got a kid in the minor leagues, Chase Lee. He's a side armor. Came from Alabama. Uh, they call him the Viper, which is a pretty sick nickname. Um, I think he could be a different look guy. I don't know that he's got the stuff necessarily to be a closer, but you know, bring him in for an inning and confuse everybody for a little while. That could work. So I, the question, I mean, the answer is convoluted because I, because I think the situation is convoluted. They could, I, I still don't know what they were doing with Matt Moore. They didn't trade him at the deadline last year. I don't know what the offers were. So maybe they were not enough to make it worth signaling to the team that we're giving up, but it's not like anybody expected them to have a miraculous second half. And at the time they said, you know, Martin Perez sticks around, Matt Moore sticks around. We want to bring both of them back next year. They brought back Perez. Moore's a free agent and I don't, it doesn't look like he's coming back. Like to hear Chris Young talk, it didn't sound like, oh yeah, we're close. Like, don't worry about it. He basically was like, well, you know, there's, he's a talented pitcher and a lot of people want him and we're still having conversations and, more or less, he's not coming back. So they should have traded him. Mm-hmm. And now they should bring him back because they definitely need him. He was good in every role last year from middle relief to he closed a few games. Uh, he might be the best left-handed pitcher left on the market. I don't have the list in front of me, uh, but he was very, very good last year. So if they don't bring him back, it's going to have to be somebody. Um, I'll throw out one name who you mentioned, like closer still on the market. And, I feel like he's still looming is uh, my old buddy. I'm a Yankee fan. And uh, so Aroldis Chapman, oh, a guy out there. Who <laughs> I could see a, a team like the Rangers. It's just hard for me to believe. And, and listen, I don't know anything about anything, but it's hard for me to believe that a team like the Rangers that's going just all in this year with all of this money and really seems like they're going for it right now that they're going to go in with kind of a, a mishmash of, you know, maybe it's Leclerc, but like, we don't really know. Like, it seems like they're the type, especially with an old school manager that wants like a proven guy. So do you think a guy like Chapman could be a fit there? I mean, okay, let's, let's say you got two guys on the market. Um, one of them is our oldest Chapman. And then I'm going to give you the stats for the other one. 
Uh, the other one had an ERA of 446 last year. He walked 28 guys in 36 in the third innings. He did strike out 43, so it's still more than one per per inning. But uh, let's see. He only gave up four home runs in 36 innings. But that's your other guy. He had a, had a FIP of 457. If we're doing WHIP, if that's an important fantasy stat, his WHIP was 1431. Which one of those guys do you sign? Oh, Mike, what do you think? Neither. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mike is 100% right here. The answer is neither because they are both Aroldis Chapman. He was not good last year with the Yankees. And I get that he wasn't happy, but he has fallen off a little bit. And can he come back and be the Aroldis Chapman of old at 35 years old? Maybe. But we've already expressed the amount of risk that the Rangers have taken. And, hey, maybe that means that they just don't care about risk and they're going to do it. But I I just don't think that's the guy. And especially with the way that things went at the end of the season where he was, you know, left off the roster because he didn't show up. Like that off the field question marks about a guy. You get away with that when you're throwing 104 miles an hour. You, You don't get away with that with a 446 ERA and 28 walks in 36 innings. Like I just don't. I, the Rangers are a young team. They've signed some veterans. They've signed some clubhouse leaders. But you, when you've got a young team and there are questions about a guy's off-field commitment, and I, I know, I know that they're like, that's a, a landmine when you start talking about off-the-field stuff because you know it seems like it only gets brought up about a certain group of guys, uh, and that's that is not my intent here at all. But it's just what I saw from him last year, if I have a young team full of guys that I want to be a a dynasty, right? Like they've got these minor leaders, they've got minor league depth. There's going to be a lot of guys coming up through the clubhouse. You're trying to win and you need guys who are going to keep that clubhouse up tempo all in. Like you want the personality of guys who are all in Chapman kind of, kind of showed his backside last year. Mm -hmm. And if you show your backside and you've got an ERA of 160 and you're throwing 104, um, everybody kind of goes, ah, that's just a roll. This he's a corker, you know, like we love that guy. You pull that kind of business when you're not going well. And it just, I think it puts a team off, especially a team like the Rangers with as many young guys as they've got. I think it puts them off of wanting to wanting to sign a player like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Fair points. Um, and listen, I, I hope it's Leclerc. Anybody who throws a slumbio, I mean, that's, I, I don't know, yeah. I've never heard that before, but that's, that's, a scary, like that's a scary pitch. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I like about Leclerc too is he's, he's kind of this quiet guy and he seems a little nervous on the mound, right? Like if you see his facial expressions, he looks like he's always just a little like nervous. Um, when, who was the guy? Uh, Brandon Mann. So Brandon Mann, similar to Austin Bibbins Dirks, had been around for forever. He was 34 years old when he made his big league debut. Um, came up to the big leagues in 2018. And uh, somebody asked him a couple of games in, like, it seems like you're fitting in well. Like, how how's the thing going for you? He's like, yeah, man. Uh, Jose Leclerc has really taken me under his wing. And Leclerc in 2018 was like 23 years old, I think. Let me look and see how old he was. I got my other computer here in front of me uh 2018 he was 24 years old and he just like hey man come with me his english wasn't good he's like come with me we're going to the video room let me show you where that is like just a natural leader um yeah you just hope he can keep it together and find a way to close out games like he did in 2018 
because if he can do that, the personality, that's the guy that you want being your closer. The guy that just it is it's a big tent, everybody's involved, like, come on, you're my guy. He's a glue guy in that clubhouse. So yeah, I mean, from a personality standpoint, and I know that I'm piling this right on after I just said the opposite about Chapman. Yeah, like Leclerc is the guy if he can pitch. And well, this is stuff that matters, and this is why we find these interviews so valuable, and we appreciate you sharing info like that because it it's you know that is stuff that gets factored into decisions, and that ultimately impacts production, you know, and impacts our game. So, absolutely, that that stuff does matter. Yeah. So, Levi, one of the things you kind of touched on a little bit ago was, um, you know. The, the, potential acquisition of somebody like Brian Reynolds, right? And mm-hmm. you look at the Rangers outfield and like we talked about before, despite all the money that they've spent, they've not really addressed this position uh, mm-hmm. either. Now this is coming from the guy who just took Adolis Garcia in the fifth round of an NFBC draft this afternoon and was very, very happy to get him where I got him. But outside of Garcia, what are the, what is this shaping up to look like? I mean, are we talking about Josh Smith here? Are we talking about Bubba Thompson? How do you see this uh, shaking out? Um, I don't think Josh Smith is going to be a starting outfielder, although I think he is going to be one of about five guys competing for that left field job if they don't bring in anybody else. Um, Garcia in right field, that's a lock. I think he did a better job last year of maintaining his conditioning so he didn't fall off in the second half. And, um, you know, for as old as he is, he's only going to be his third full big league season. So he's still learning how to, you know, be a big leaguer and, what it takes to, to do a full season. I, I would not be surprised to see him be even better this year than he was last year. Center field, I think Leody Tavares still has to get that shot. I mean, he was pretty mm-hmm. good for the first half of last year and the second half, it was real bad. Um, could that just be him also kind of having some of that fatigue of, you know, they, he missed the 2020 minor league season and had to sort of get some big league experience. He probably wasn't ready for that. 21 was a mess. So, but his prospect status is such that they're, they're not going to just give up on him right sure. now, Un- unless it's a trade for, you know, Hey, Sandy Alcantara comes up on the block and the Marlins are like, we want Leody. Uh, yes. You go right on ahead. Um, but he's I think 24, you know, it seems like he's been right. around forever, but he's still so young, right? He is still young. Um, hopefully he will be able to kind of grow into the role that, that has seemed to have been destined for him for a long time. And then, yeah, left field, uh, Ezekiel Duran has been playing left field on winter ball. Um, I think I thought he showed flashes of being a, a really well-rounded player last year. He's faster than people think he's got some pop. He's a good hitter. Uh, just was maybe a little overmatched by big league pitching last year. First year in the big leagues. I'm not too worried about it. Um, Bubba Thompson would be my, would be my starting left fielder. His his speed is such. So the lineup is here's why. Here's why. The lineup is better than people think. Right? You got mm-hmm. Steven Simeon at the top. Surely Marcus Simeon is not going to take two months to hit a home run again this year. Um those guys are pretty good. Nathaniel Lowe won a silver slugger. People forget that Mitch Garver exists because he was injured last year, but Mitch Garver's also a pretty good hitter, generally speaking. Uh Josh Young this will be his sort of first full year in the big leagues. I don't know that you can count on him to be a star, but he's hit everywhere he went and just mashed when he got to AAA last year. So count on him being like good, right? Not maybe probably not great yet, but, but probably okay. Uh, Adolis Garcia, 
very good hitter. And then Leody Tavares, okay, we're starting to fall off in this on this lineup. But if if Bubba Thompson is your nine hitter, and at that yeah. point we're also making on I don't know Mark Mathias or Brad Miller being your DH, so I understand my, my plot has holes here. <laughs> um, that is the fastest man I've ever seen on a baseball field. Possible exception of Billy Hamilton, and I know there are probably there are guys that are that are, that chart out faster. But as far as like covering the Rangers, watching the Rangers play, I watched a liner to Shields too. Bubba's faster, and. Wow. That level of speed, if and and he hit well at AAA last year too. It's not like he was hitting two hundred five at AAA. He, he struggled a little to get on base when he got to the big leagues, but if he can get on the on the bases, there are two things. One, he doesn't have to be the guy that hits you know big fifteen twenty home runs a year. If his slugging percentage is like three ninety, but he hits close to three hundred and gets on base at about three sixty. Fantastic, because then he's on base for Simeon, Seager, Lowe, Garcia. Like he's going to be getting driven in because he's going to be standing on second base. The other thing is, I watched him steal bases last year. He got caught, I think, three times stealing bases. In fact, I'm going to look this up to make sure. Eighteen for twenty-one. There, eighteen for twenty-one. Okay, yep. and he played a total of uh, fifty-five games last year. He had 181 plate appearances. And still stole 18 bases. So if he gets, you know, 600 plate appearances, that's like legit stolen base threat there. Two of the three times he got caught stealing, he was called safe. In fact, he was safe and popped off the bag. So really he got caught once. And that one was because he was stealing and the pitcher picked him off at first base and they threw it to second base and barely got him at second base. there, There was never a clean caught stealing for Bubba Thompson in 21 attempts last year. Now factor in the fact that they are making the bases larger this year. So you're getting an extra, I think three inches closer between first base and second base. If he was safe, I mean, for all intents and purposes, never really got caught stealing last year. Now give him an extra three inches. The dude's going to be standing on second base anytime he's on first. Like pitchers knew it was coming would throw over four or five, six times. They can't do that anymore this year either. Right, right, right. That is a weapon. And if he can get on, if he can even get on base at a 330 clip and it's mostly singles, it, it's not going to be reflected in his slugging percentage, but that's basically a double because he's going to steal 65 or 70 bases under these new rules if he can get on base. So he'd be my love. Getting, yeah, I'm getting like all excited. I'm taking him in the first round, Mike. Bubba Thompson, Don't let's do that. go. Don't I'm do all, that. I'm hyped <laughs> up. Holy I hope it's the league I'm in with you then if you do that, Torres. You yeah, all I, mean, listen, I mean, he could steal 200 bases, like the way he's talking here. <laughs> you, you better also have Aaron Judge because he's not, Bubba's not going to hit that many home runs. Oh, so you're going okay. uh, to need to make um, up for the home runs. But listen, I, so let me ask you. He's projected right now. We use a projection system called Steamer. Um, mm-hmm. They are projecting him right now for 311 plate appearances. Sounds like you okay. would take the over on that, Levi. Yeah, man, there's it's a broad variance, right? So if he comes up and he is the starting left fielder, actually, I don't think that's going to be the case because I do think they're going to get a different left fielder. I think he's going to be a fourth outfielder for them, a defensive replacement and a pinch runner is what what I think as of you know January 6th or whatever, whenever this airs. Um, that's what I think will happen. If he's the starting left fielder and he comes out and he hits 205 for the first month, then he's not going to get... Three hundred and what would you say? Three twenty-five, three 
311. 311. It'll be under, I think. But if he comes out as the starting left fielder and he does what I'm talking about and he hits about 260 and he gets on base at about a 330, 340 clip, then I think he gets 600 plate appearances. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm not pretty I wide that I would, there. Yeah. yeah, I don't know that I would put money on the over or the under. But I would say that it probably ends up being not close to that number. I think it ends up being way under or way over. Right, let, Watch, he's going to have exactly that many plate appearances now, and I'm going to look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no one will remember. It's January 6th. No one's going to you know, go back right. and uh, right. listen to this afterwards. So you're good. Uh, let's transition from the outfield to the infield. Um, I mean, we they got studs all around there between Nate Lowe, Semyon, Seeger. You mentioned Josh Young. Um, what is the outlook for him this season? I know, you know, he's he's a, one of the top prospects in baseball. Um, what are your expectations for him this year? Man, we we I'm going to play the exact same song for him that I played for the the starting rotation. They just I think primarily want him to stay healthy. He has had injuries each of the last two years that have that have set him back. Um, you know, he ended up playing. But between the Rangers and Round Rock last year, he played, what are we looking at, 59 games last year. So I think the second half will be a grind for him, even if he does stay healthy, because the conditioning is going to, you know, it just, you have to do it to do it. The most games he's ever played in a year, including college, is in 2021, he played 78 games. So that's. I think in the second half will be a problem. If you're not in a dynasty league and it's, you know, August 15th and Josh Young is slumping, I would say go ahead and drop him. Um, but as far as production goes, I mean, in those 23 games at Round Rock, he had six home runs and I think he had like five of them in his first seven games or something like something stupid. He hit the ground running. Um, he slugged, what, 846 in AAA last year. And that's after in 2021 between double a AA and triple a he slugged 990 i mean he hit 19 home runs in those 78 games he's got more the the big knock on him when he was drafted was he's he's a pure hitter he's got great bat to ball um great hit tool not a ton of power uh, but he has hit the ball over the fence pretty consistently as a pro so I think when he is healthy, he's going to be good. I think he will be better in 24 than he is 23. I think you just got to give him a season to get his feet under him, learn what it means to play an entire big league season, and hope to God he stays healthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my right. people are fantasy gamers are pretty hyped on him. I'm looking here at his ADP. Um, he is sitting at 215 right now in these early drafts, which um, I'm surprised given the uncertainty. His projection, to be honest, doesn't look that fantastic. Um, you know, and, and given how he played at the end of last season, you know, I guess there's some question marks, but that prospect pedigree, it, it seems like has people um, really excited about him. Yeah. I'm looking at different projections than you are. I'm looking at baseball references and they have him slugging uh, 409, his on base at 292. And uh, so OPS of 701 with uh, what, nine home runs, but they only have him with 250 plate appearances also, which, mm-hmm. you know, the injury risk, you got to factor that in. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Levi, you, you brought up, um, Garver a little while ago mm-hmm. and, you know, I think Jonah Heim surprised a lot of people at mm-hmm. here. I, I, how do you see that situation shaking out behind the plate? Do you think it's a pure split? Do you think that one of them DHs on the days that the other one's not catching? I know that's a little dangerous with they only carry two catchers, but mm-hmm. how do you see that kind of shaking out there? 
Yeah, I do think because Garver's injury was a flexor tendon, so he couldn't throw the ball. Um, he did still take at bats for those last few weeks before he had surgery, but um, I think they'll want to sort of ease him back in and make sure. And he's supposed to be ready for the start of regular season, I, but I, I do think they'll probably ease him back in, probably DH him a little while. Mm-hmm. And and it's kind of a nice uh, double thing because they can see which Jonah Heim was the real Jonah Heim. He had a very good start to the season. Uh, but just caught more than he had caught in previous years. And he, he openly said it. He's like, I'm just freaking tired, man. Like, I'm exhausted. Um, was not used to the workload. So um, I I think if Heim takes it and runs with it, you know, let Garver catch twice a week and be your DH, that's not a bad lineup. But if he doesn't, if he's the Jonah Heim that hit, what was it, like 198 the year before, um, then okay, that's that's fine. We can split. And Heim's a great defensive catcher. I think he's, there is value even if he does hit 200 in what he brings to the the pitching staff with his defense. Um, but I, you know, I think he'll get a chance to kind of just let, let's see what you can do. Because I think Garver's a free agent at the end of this year. Garver's not. I don't think they plan on him being the MVP of the 2026 World Series in Texas. So. <laughs> Um, if you have to prioritize one, it's going to be Heim, but I, I think they do need Garver's bat in the lineup. So they probably, I would imagine as the roster stands right now, I do think they'll probably let Garver DH on days when he's not catching, which might mean that they bring in a third catcher on the roster. So, you know, Sam Huff maybe is your you know right-handed bat off the bench can play some first base, maybe frankly, a defensive replacement at first base late in the game, because that's. Nathaniel Lowe's kryptonite so far has, has been his defense. So I could construct a lineup that has those three catchers because Huff can, you know, Huff can also DH if he needs to. Sure, and sure. that man's got big, big power. Just the strikeouts have been a real problem for him. So give me your best guess of what the lineup is going to look like one to nine. Ooh, all right, let's do this. Let me pull out a, a pen and paper here. Uh, as I know, audio listeners love, love when people pull out pen and paper and just take 30 seconds of silence. <laughs> um, let me go. Uh, I'll stick with I'll stick with last year's top of the lineup. So Simeon at second base, Seager at shortstop, uh, probably low in the three hole. Although if you want to split up the left-handed hitters, actually, you know what? No, I'm the new manager. I'm doing this the way that I want to do it. So um, low is your leadoff hitter at first base. Then Simeon at second base, Seager at short. So there's your first three. Uh, Adolis Garcia in right field at cleanup. Do I think Bruce Bochy will follow my advice on this? I do not. <laughs> I've been wanting you to have that poll, huh? Lowe is such a good on-base guy that I think uh, I would love to see him as a leadoff hitter. So there's your top four. Um, I think let me let me run through my my mind. See, I saw on the I think it was. MLB Network or maybe John Boy the other day was saying like, oh, Jonah Heim's your number five hitter. I can't believe this lineup. People think this lineup is good. Uh, Jonah Heim is not going to be. If Jonah Heim is the number five hitter, something has gone horribly wrong or miraculously right for Jonah Heim because he is not, he's not the five hitter on this team. The five hitter on my team today is going to be Mitch Garver. Um, I'm going to put Josh Young six at third base. And now you just got to go catcher. Okay, so so Heim's going to be my seven guy at catcher. Uh, eight's going to be Tavares. And then in ninth, 
uh, in left field and putting Bubba Thompson. Although I want to just state for the record that I think that there will be a different left fielder, who one who is not yet on the roster. Mm-hmm. You hyped him up. You got me excited. Now you, you're letting me down. Uh, it's, <laughs> I know. Um, this is very uh, fluctuating emotions throughout this interview here. But um, okay, so let me tell you where John Boy probably got that projection of Jonah Heim. It looks like on roster resource, which we is a popular uh, website for you know projected uh, you know lineups. Uh, I'm not ripping on John Boy, by the way. He's gonna like he's gonna do a breakdown of this video, and he's gonna like make fun of my books in the back, and like I know. Hey, listen, if John Boy actually takes the time to listen to our podcast, I mean, <laughs> whatever, you know, that's cool, man. Uh, Poking the barrier, yeah. But um, yeah, uh, Roster Resource has Jonah Heim at number five. Okay, uh, they actually have Brad Miller. Uh, as a DH at um, the seven hole, um, it sounds like you think Garver is more likely to fill that role. Is that is that for yeah? Seven? But I don't know if you want both catchers in the lineup every day. I mean, they're yeah. going to definitely be. You're going to have to give even Garver rest off of DH if he's going to be catching regularly too. So Miller will get some time at DH. He'll probably get some time in left field as well. Okay. Um, I think people also are forgetting about Mark Mathias, who the Rangers liked. Um, even before they traded, there was a trade, I think the year before or during the off season that they were considering, uh, trying to trade for him. They didn't like the price, so they didn't, but they traded Matt Bush. And at the time we all thought like, oh, it makes sense. You trade Matt Bush for like a, uh, this double a pitcher because you're not good this year. And you know, Matt Bush is 36 years old. Um, but I had somebody in the front office tell me like, no, we like Matthias. We like the way that he hits. He's a good hitter. He's got a lot of, uh, diversity defensively as well. So. And Matthias is going to get some time at DH. I think he'll also be a utility guy. And then the guy that I haven't mentioned yet is Josh Smith, uh, who you brought up. And I think he probably could also be a, a utility type player. I don't think there's necessarily that it's going to really hurt his development to to get you know play four times a week at three different positions. Maybe be a you know late inning left handed pinch hit option. So. Um, yeah, Brad Miller wasn't that good last year, though. And if he's not that good again this year, he also is going to be a free agent. I don't know that they would keep him around for a whole long time if he's not producing. Mm-hmm. Uh, great guy. Like, one of my favorite dudes in the clubhouse to talk to. I, It's a weird job that I have where I like – like, I love talking to Brad Miller. It's always a pleasure when he's in the clubhouse and you go, oh, Brad's here. Great. We're going to have a good conversation. And then I come on here like, absolutely, he's not starting DH. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, Brad. Like, I, it's my job to be honest here, and I and I am wrong a lot. So uh, maybe maybe Brad Miller will go back to hitting twenty home runs, and he'll be the DH. I don't know. Could be, could be. Speaking of being honest, I'm going to put you on the spot one last oh, time. No. Right We're kind of getting to the end of our time, and uh, it's been wonderful having you. Thank you so much for making time tonight to be with us in the middle of winter here. But you know. As an outsider, I'm a White Sox fan by trade, unfortunately. Um, Rangers last year spent $561 million in free agency to bring in Simeon and Seeger and Gray. Mm-hmm. And, so and don't forget high. Cole Calhoun. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, who, who, somehow we'll end up on the White Sox, I, I feel. But um, uh, this year they've spent over $263 million bringing guys in. So they've spent uh, quite a bit of change here uh, in the last couple of seasons. Yeah. Is this is this team going to make the playoffs, Levi? Boy, that is a great question. There's so much very. I don't know. 
the American League is so stacked, right? I mean, there are some really, really good teams in the American League, and there's not a lot of teams that are in, like, full rebuilds like you see in the National League right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you used to be able to count on kicking the Orioles around. You can't even count on that anymore. No. Um, Man, it's going to be close. I think... I think they get bounced in the first round, but I think they make the playoffs. Um, and that first round might be like, what they do? They st- are they still doing the one game play? I completely like just left my body for the last month of the season last year. I don't remember exactly what the new playoff format is. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think they're like anytime you get in the playoffs, you can. That's that's that could go. Any direction, anybody can get on a hot stretch and do well. I don't think they are necessarily yet built for a deep playoff run. I do think the addition of Bruce Bochy was good. I think the man knows what he's doing in the postseason, clearly. Um, the players seem to love him. He has a track record. He knows what he's doing, and I think that's going to be really beneficial. Um, it just all comes down to health, and not just the health of one guy, but the health of DeGrom and Heaney and Josh Young and Corey Seager, for that matter, who also had a lot of health issues and played most of the games last year, but like had a lot of health issues before. So, and Garver, it is Garver come back. The, you know, there are just so, so many questions about health that if everybody, if 80% of those go well, then I think they make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If, you know, 50% of those go well, they're, a 500 team, maybe at best, but man, it could just, the other thing I was talking to the guys from uh, the Cespedes barbecue guys at the winter meetings and Jordan brought up a great point that I hadn't considered because we talk about all the things, you know, the Rangers lost a lot of one run games last year. And there were just all these little ticky tacky things that went wrong and, and their Pythagorean record said they should have been better than they were. And so the general consensus for a while is like, yeah, you know, they weren't good. But they weren't as bad as all that. Like, there was progress. And Jordan brought up, he's like, hey, nobody counted on Nathaniel Lowe being a silver slugger winner, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody counted on Martin Perez being an all-star. Nobody counted on Jonah Heim having the first year that he had. Uh, There was a lot that went right also. So, yes, you're counting on some of that bad luck to flip. And you hope they don't lose 191 run games this year like they did last year. But... You can't just count on the bad luck to flip and not count on the good luck to flip too. So I think there's a lot of regression in both directions. This is, I've been trying to make predictions and I've been bad at them for, you know, seven years now. This is the hardest team for me in, since I started covering the team in 2016 to say with any confidence, what's going to happen. Every, there's so much variance at almost every position that it's like, man, I don't know if they win a world series. I, that that will be the thing that surprises me. Mm-hmm. Um, if they win fifty games, that would be a, a surprise to me. And they were sixty eight and ninety four last year, um, but I'm looking at the relative power index on ESPN, and their expected win loss record was seventy seven and eighty five. So mm-hmm. they're saying, and I'm pretty sure it's like a, using the Pythagorean uh, win loss record. So that's um, you know it's pretty significant difference, and with the additions that they made. 
I hear you. There could be a regression in the other direction, but some of these additions, if they stay healthy, I, I think there is some pretty significant upside for them this yeah. season. Um, we really haven't talked about Bruce Bochy, and I, I think that's probably a bigger deal than most managers that are, are brought in, just given his track record. I'm wondering, Levi, um, what do you think his impact is going to be on the team this coming season? Um, ideally, it'll be just stability. Right. Like the team has just come through a, a major rebuild that was frankly delayed a few years um, longer than it should have been because ownership was pretty adamant. Uh, sorry, let me make sure I don't get sued here. <laughs> I have heard that ownership was very adamant that they wanted a competitive team on the field in 2020. And that's when they should have been tanking and winning 50 games. And so they just kept cobbling things together. And finally, when everything went south in 2020, they're like, okay, here we go. And let's now try to get this rebuild done. Um, there's been so, so much turnover of players, of staff. John Daniels had been with the team for like 20 plus years. He's gone now. Chris Woodward was a super nice guy. Another one of those guys that I'm going to miss talking to every day. Um, he got canned in the middle of last year. So it's like, just can we just get a guy who can, with his big, enormous bear voice sit down and have everybody agree when he goes okay calm down (laughs) like it's gonna be fine if he can be that stabilizing force in the clubhouse that's gonna go such a long way now add on to that that he is almost certainly a hall of famer as a manager he has three world series wins so he's got the skins on the wall when he says to do something he knows what he's talking about um, I, I really think it should be beneficial, but I think most of it guys know the, you know, we were talking about earlier where like you don't make it to the big leagues unless you can have a day like Austin Bivens Sirks had, you don't get hired as a manager if you don't know how to like understand analytics and you don't understand what matchups mean, or like you don't understand how to look at a player and go, yeah, he's getting tired. I can see his, you know, whatever spin rates falling down, or it's time to pinch hit this guy here. Cause the numbers say that everybody knows if you get hired as a manager, like you've passed that test, you know what the scenarios are. You're smart. You know what you're doing. The difference in good managers and great managers is a good manager might know that it's time to take a picture out of a ball game. A great manager will make a, Sorry, let me let me phrase that differently. A good manager might know that it that the numbers say let's leave this guy in, and he should stay in the ball game. I just want to come out and get a a, a check. A great manager will come out, know he's going to leave a guy in the game, and walk away with that guy believing that because that manager said the things that he said, now I believe in myself more because I know he knows what he's talking about. So I that extra confidence boost that the numbers are not going to be able to account for a great manager knows how to get players to listen to him, knows how to get them on his side where it's, I'm thinking of Tony La Russa last year where he was like, Oh, it's like, I'm the dad and they're the brothers that hate me. And I'm like, Tony, man, what are you doing? Like, I have never seen that be a, a, a big league team where everybody hates their manager. And guess what? That didn't work out, man. Like, it's not like you need to be the player's best friend you don't need to be the guy who's like, you know, going out with him, but you, they need to trust in your conviction. They need to trust that you know what's best for them, that you have their back and that you are going to make the right decision that's going to put them in the best position to win. And I think Bochi has that level of credibility 
Mm-hmm. So I hope for the Rangers' sake that that is exactly what happens. Take it easy, Antonio Larusa, because Mike over here is a huge, huge Come fan. On, of him. Whereas, I, th- I was just going to say, I think what you're doing is, I think you're feeding all of our guests behind my back a line or something to say. Hey, no, make sure you bring I had to bring up Larusa, right? Because, no, because no. Michael, have an, Michael be apoplectic in the middle of the of the show. You know, honestly, the reason that I brought up Larusa was <laughs> because you because you've got three man, well, two now managers in the big league that are older. I mean. Right. You know, there was a, a trend for a while to bring in the young guy, the the guy that had just finished his playing career, and it was like the up and comer because he's smart, right? He understands analytics, he understands the way the game's going, he gets it. And now you started to see maybe a trend back to some older managers. And I I think I don't know the age necessarily in and of itself has much to do with it. Beyond can this person who played the game a certain way or managed the game a certain way adapt to the new information that exists. And it didn't look to me from the outside looking at it. And I didn't cover the White Sox, but I just watching it play out. It didn't look like Larusa fully understood all of that and was trying to manage. He was a Larusa is a Hall of Fame manager too. I'm not knocking him as a as a manager. He was great in the 80s and 90s. Also had those skins on the wall, but the game changed, and I think he didn't change with it rapidly enough. Dusty Baker, on the other hand. He's also in his 70s, right? But he adapted. He understood what was going on and found a way to get the players to believe. And I'm not saying that Dusty Baker is an analytics you know, guru or that he's sitting there with his iPad just like coding new ways to make baseball spin. But he understands it and he, he gets it and he adapted with the game. And it, talking to Bochy a few times, it seems like he gets it. It, yeah. it seems like he is more Dusty than he is La Russa. And I don't mean to just crap on your favorite manager mike i'm sorry <laughs> no it's all good man it's all good Mike was gonna yeah. do it anyway but yeah it is interesting how you bring up how yeah. um it it has shifted right we've gone from you know analytics uh, were the thing everybody wanted the young analytically inclined manager and now it's more reverting back to let's let's bring someone in who understands how to run a clubhouse and right. gets respect from players so well, because it's both, right? Like Absolutely. analytics is ob- objective numbers, but it's not predictive. It, it's basically like going to Vegas and you get your hand of cards and your hand of cards says, all right, you've got a 34% chance of winning if you tell them to hit. And you go, okay, well then no, I'm not going to do that. Um, like those are, they're, they're, that's valuable. It is good to know what the odds are. It is good to know what, you know, this, per- this guy's spin rate, this guy can't hit it. You know, great. But it's not predictive. And it also doesn't account for, you know, your right fielder's going through a divorce. So maybe give him a day, right? Like there's no analytics for that. Your center fielder is in the middle of some crisis, or he walked in today and you could just tell he's, you know, feeling greater. You see something from him in and at bat and you go, he's close. I can tell I that swing, I can tell he's been slumping, but that swing, I saw it. He's close. That thing we've been working on in the in the batting cages, my eye can tell you. He's about to do it. He's going to do it. There aren't analytics for that. So it is both. It's, it's, mm-hmm. the, it's the conviction of the manager to get the team on his side. It's the being able to identify those things that the numbers don't have. But it is also very much like if you just ignore the numbers and go with, oh, man, why is it the White Sox that I just want to rip on? <laughs> go, go with TWTW, like Hawk Harrelson's The Will to Win. You, God. you can't just rely on that either. right? Like So it, it is a combination of both. And 
anytime there's any advancement, this is not just baseball, and you'll see this in a lot of walks of life, but anytime there's any advancement, you'll see this swing to one side or the other. The pendulum just, you know, whips rapid. Facebook cheated the system and all of a sudden everybody was pivoting to video in, in our world, right? Writing became less important. We pivoted to video. And then here comes the athletic and they're like, hey, remember Grantland? We're going to write 2,500 word stories. And we pivoted back the other way. And now we're kind of finding that middle ground of like, yes, breaking news is important. We want the information out there. Obviously, we want it to be accurate, but it needs to be out quick. Let's give you some short things for the breaking news story. But at the same time, there are going to be people that want these more long form stories and they want to dig deeper and that are more, they understand more than a casual fan. So give them something to chew on too. Um, baseball is, is the same way, right? The analytics thing happened. Boom. Let's swing that way. And then there was the backlash and then the backlash to the backlash. And, and I think like with a lot of things we're seeing, it's both take the advancements, take the extra tools, but also don't abandon 150 years of history that, you know, we, we can also have baseball people who understand baseball. Right. Yeah. There, there's a lot of science that's been incorporated into it with the data and analytics, but there is still an art, you know, to right. the game. And uh, and even in Mike in, in our game in fantasy baseball, I think um, that sometimes gets overlooked. Like there's so many um, numbers that we look at, but there is something uh, to be said for being able to kind of have some intuition and, mm-hmm. and kind of you know, look at it from a different perspective, not just focus on the numbers. I think those are, are the best players. But um, Levi, one last thing I wanted to ask you, go back to, because you, you brought up Brad Miller. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned how it's hard. He's a nice guy. You enjoy talking to him. And, you know, but then you have to say, well, you know, he may not even be on the team if he doesn't perform. So there's, I'd imagine as a beat writer, there's just a very fine line to walk, right? You, you have to establish relationships with players, but you also have to be honest and report, right. you know, on, on what's going on. So, you know, we usually ask, like, we end on, like, a story, but I, I wanted to end on this. Just it, I, I find that fascinating, like, just learning about your craft and, you know, how you navigate that, how you navigate developing these relationships, but also having to report, you know, honestly and accurately with what's going on. Yeah, you know, it helped me to learn that the guys kind of understand what I do. When I first started, um, I was under the impression that nobody read any of my work because I was working at a local TV station. I was not like one of the, I was not the T.R. Sullivan or Evan Grant or Jeff Wilson, right? Those are the big three covering the team. Those are the local newspapers and MLB.com. And here I am like some doofus who used to be a touring musician. My hair is down to my shoulders at that point. And I'm just like, I don't know, guys, just like happy to be here. (laughs) And I assumed that nobody read anything that I wrote or tweeted or anything. And I just kind of was like, well, I guess we'll see if this works out. And I started doing these... um, I don't know. I don't remember what started it. I think for some reason I had Giraffiel Palmero stuck in my head. And so I made this Photoshop of a giraffe with Raphael Palmero's face. Um, and I thought it was really funny. And so I just started doing these because I was never going to be the one to break news that first year. I didn't have any contacts. I didn't know anybody. So I just had this stretch of, uh, of Photoshop's available and, you know, um, Somebody would get traded and I wouldn't have the, the breaking story, but of course everybody's talking about it. And so I'm like, ah, so-and-so's got traded. Here's Gino Petraligator and it's Gino Petrali with an alligator face. Um, I, did, I did Gino Petraligator and Nolan Ryanoceros on the mound you know, with each other. 
And uh, I just I started doing that for current players too, and just you know, it was just something stupid to do that would differentiate me a little bit, and it was fun and goofy. Right? So at one point, I get a, a tweet, and it's from Amanda Diekman. Uh, she wasn't Amanda Diekman at the time, but Jake Diekman's then girlfriend, now wife. And she was like, "I demand to see Snake Diekman," and I went, "Oh no, 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 no! You're not supposed to know about this." why do you know about this? And I sent a DM. I'm like, please tell me this does not mean that the players know about this. And she was like, Oh, 100%. They know. like, absolutely. Everybody thinks it's funny. I'm like, Oh man, that's embarrassing. So I walk in and Tony Barnett was my guy. Like I would see Tony Barnett and like, I'd just go talk to him instead of doing my job. And I walked in and he's sitting there with Jake and they both give me the look of like, you know, Amanda told Jake and Jake told Tony. And now here I am walking into clubhouse and they both give me the look like, and I walk in, I'm like, uh, you guys don't, you, you didn't see the, the thing. Right. And Tony just goes, buddy, we know, like, we talk, like everybody knows. That's <laughs> and, uh, that was a huge lesson for me. And I'm glad that it worked out and everybody thought it was funny, but it was, the, it was a huge lesson of like, yeah, they read what you write. Like you are going to face these guys. It's not like when you were a fan and you could tweet like, oh, you know, DFA such and such player. Blah, blah. You're a member of the media now. And there's a certain level of responsibility that comes with that. And if you say that, like you're going to walk in and see that guy and you're going to have to answer to him for the words that you said. <clears throat> so that's that was a good reminder. Um but then the other good reminder was understanding that the guys get it. They understand what the job is. And if you are all, all the most of them ask is that you be fair. Mm -hmm. If I tell you that Brad Miller might not make the team this year and Brad's upset about that, then I will walk into the clubhouse and we'll have a conversation about it. And he'll go, Hey man, you know, I heard what you said. And I, I thought, I think you were being unfair. And I'm like, okay, Brad, you hit two twelve last year. Like, so what did I miss? And he might have a good point and he might tell me, well, you didn't see, you know, do you remember how much I was on the, on the IL and I had the neck injury and that really impacted me? Mm -hmm. And, you know, okay, fair enough. And, and I will learn from that. So you have to have a little bit of a thick skin. Uh, you can't be defensive. You have to be willing when you write something about somebody, like if negativity, if not negativity, I, I don't want to ever be negative, but if a hard truth is necessary then I will write that hard truth. And the next day I'll make sure that I see that guy. Mm -hmm. and, it, and there's also a fine line there too, where I don't want to like behind his back, like write something about like, Oh, this probably guy probably should be traded or it should be released. And then the next day walk in and be like, hope you didn't see it. Hey buddy, how are you? Like mm -hmm. not the water. Are we okay? Happened, yeah. You don't want to do that either because that's sneaky and it's just not, there's not a lot of integrity there either. So it's a matter of just like show up, be there, every day or as close to every day as you can be there. And if somebody has a problem, go, you know, I don't get to get heated about that. Mm -hmm. And you, you'll occasionally see those confrontations, you know, they happen about once a year. And I think last year it was in the Phillies clubhouse where Nick Castellanos had a problem with somebody mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it got kind of heated. Right. Um, I, I hate confrontation like that. I, I don't want that to ever happen to me, but also if I, if I swing the other way on I'm talking about pendulums, if I swing the other way on that and I only write nice things um, and turn a blind eye and be like, well, Brad Miller might be an all-star next year. I lose my credibility. People yeah. stop reading me and people go, he's just a homer. He's a fan who gets to go into the clubhouse 
So not only are we not getting good information from that guy, he sucks. I want to be in the clubhouse. He's not doing anything I wouldn't do. Why, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's resentment there. So I don't want to become that guy either. I want to be good at my job. And it's uh, fortunately for me, I found out that lesson about the players read what you write in a very stupid and funny way that turned out to be great. And I still do those photoshops once in a while when I'm bored. Um, but uh, I did Jacob de Gromit, you know, from Wallace and Gromit. I was pretty proud of that one. <laughs> uh, awesome. We'll leave it. That was, that was an awesome uh, answer, a really good story in there. So uh, thank you for sharing that and, and just a good way to end a, a really good interview. So thank you so much for taking the time for everything um, that you shared with us. Just want to give you a minute here to plug uh, any work uh, that you want to promote. Oh man. Uh, so I've got this Photoshop thing that I do that I hope you will all subscribe. I'm just kidding. No, uh, I'm definitely, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be looking out for those now. It's, I had to start a separate Twitter account because I just kind of wanted to hide them a little bit. So that's uh, something about the Island of Dr. Morneau. I tried to use Dr. Moreau, but a baseball player's last name. <laughs> um, no, my, my work, uh, is on the athletic, so it's not hard to find me. Levi Weaver is not a super common name. Uh, there is a singer songwriter named Levi Weaver and that's also me, but you should, you know, ignore that one. There's a different singer songwriter named Levi Weaver. He's from Montana and I would always get my username before he got his. So he had to change and start a band name. So you don't have to worry about finding him, uh, but it's otherwise an unusual name. It's pretty easy to find me. Uh, I am on you know Twitter and we all panicked and I got on Mastodon recently and on Instagram. Yeah, I have a uh, an account on there somewhere that I just looked yeah. at for one day and, and that was, uh, Yeah, let's be Mastodon friends. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'll 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 be your follower. I'll do that. Uh so yeah, Twitter is three two Ephus. It's all you spell out all the words. Uh it's like if you threw an Ephus pitch in a full count, three two Ephus. Uh I'm on Instagram also under three two Ephus. So that's me. Uh not hard to find. Please uh all I ask is if anybody follows me, don't reply to my jokes as if I'm being serious because I'm not being serious. We can all just enjoy a joke and we don't have to explain it or be literal about it. Absolutely. Yeah. For, that, that applies to everybody. Don't do that to people online. Don't respond to jokes and be literal. Everyone. Yeah. I don't mean you guys. happen I mean, too often. No. Un- unfortunately, uh, there's uh, a lot that gets lost there, but it's a conversation for another day. Levi, thanks again. Um, of course, we yeah, are, are going to take a, a quick break. Welcome back. We are here to break down the Levi Weaver interview from a fantasy perspective. Uh, talk about some players um, on the Rangers that we like at ADP or maybe that we're fading at ADP. But, uh, Mike, that was a long one. That was definitely one of our longer interviews. Um, Levi was great. Uh, I felt like he was a guy that I would just like to, you know, smoke a bowl and just hang out and talk about life. Like, he, <laughs> I, don't, I don't smoke weed, and I don't know if he does, but he was just, he had that vibe. Like, he, you know, he was kind of a, uh, a deep thinker and I uh, enjoyed talking to him. But I'm uh, wondering what were maybe some takeaways for you from the interview? Well, I had a similar takeaway, except I was thinking more along the lines of sitting around on a Friday night eating a pizza at a bar and drinking a few beers. But okay, hey, you know, whatever, too. <laughs> whatever floats your boat, bro, right? Like, I mean, that's the thing, right? So we can, you can do that around different places in the United States now. Um, I thought the same thing. I thought it was a really in-depth interview and, um, it was really interesting, I think, to, to talk to him about 
um, some perceptions that I felt like I had that maybe were a little bit um, off, I guess, before, you know, before we, we sat down and talked with, with Levi about that stuff, you know, um, it's kind of caused me to reconsider a little bit some of the thoughts that I had moving into the season about what the Rangers could be. And I think my biggest takeaway from the whole thing, Torres, was, you know, there's a there's a, a wide continuum of things that can happen with this team this year. You know, yep. um, they're, they're, for the, all the money that they've spent, they sure have a lot of unknowns, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah, there, there is there's a lot of variance uh, present within that team and a lot of talent. Right. If things if things break right, this could be a really good team. Um, and I think that's kind of what they're counting on. But, uh, yeah, if some of these guys don't hold up, the Grom, Heaney, Uvalde, uh, then it, it's going to be probably another long year for them. So, um, yeah, very interesting team. I'm wondering which rate, and I put out a poll on Twitter, and I'll talk about the results in a sec, but for you, just looking at their ADPs right now on NFBC, which player do you think you're going to be most interested in this mm-hmm. coming season? You know, I think... Um, I'm in an NFBC draft that I'm in a in an uh, on the wire listener league that I joined, and uh, one guy that I think that I took and I really was happy where I got him was Marcus Simeon. Um, I think he gets a lot of I, don't know, I guess criticism isn't the right word, but I think he kind of flies under the radar a little bit in terms of what he really brings to the table in fantasy. Um, I wonder how many people out there recognize or realize that last year he had 25 home runs and 26 stolen bases. And those are stat filling pages. You know, you know, my love affair with the guys that can do both. And it's, it's probably unhealthy, but it, at the same time, a guy like he, him flies under the radar. I think people really like the Albies and the, and the, the Nico Horners are kind of gathering some helium now, but Simeon doesn't have a, a real high batting average a lot of the time, but he's going to get a lot of at bats and it's going to be, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts, I think, with him. I, I, re- I really like him where he's being drafted at this point. Yeah, so Simeon has an ADP right now of 38. Um, I plug his steamer projection. I, I use a, a software called RotoChamp, which is kind of it's similar to like a SGP calculator, auction calculator. Uh, just spits out a value based on his projection. And right now it has him ranked as the 44th overall player so pretty it sounds like his adp is right around where um his projection says it should be so yeah i'm with you on Semyon. um i was a little tentative last year just given the the change in scenery and you know how that was going to impact him going from toronto to texas people who faded him last year were probably doing uh victory laps when he started out really slow <laughs> but then he he turned it on big time uh the rest of the way, really after like the first month or so. So, and his line was, was fantastic at the end. So I think he's a, a pretty safe player. You kind of know what you're getting and where he's going. I think he's, he's definitely uh, a fine pick. Yeah. And you think about the other guys that are going around that same area, right? You think about Albies, you think about, um, you think about Jazz Chisholm, you think about Altuve and, I like all three of those guys, but there's some questions there. And and if I'm going to be spending a high pick on a middle infielder, boy, I really want that volume. And I think Simeon really gives that to you. So I, I'm I'm pretty comfortable taking him at that spot. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I mentioned that poll that I put out on Twitter. Uh, I put out, and they only allow you to choose four uh, or put four options when you put out a poll. So 
I, I didn't include Semyon just because I, I didn't have room, but um, I put out a poll, the exact question I asked you, which of these Rangers are you most interested in at ADP? I had DeGrom at 29, uh, Adolis Garcia at 62, Seeger at 69, and Nate Lowe at 111. So I was really surprised by the results of this poll. And honestly, I'm not sure how valid it is because Corey Seeger won overwhelmingly with 52% of the vote. Um, I think what might have been one of those confounding variables, I remember that from statistics, um, <laughs> was uh, his ADP was 69. So I honestly don't know if people are like, oh, nice, you know, like 69 ADP. Let me just pick Corey Seager because that seems like, um, you know, kind of uh, I was very surprised by by those results. I understand people are excited about Seager more so because there's been a lot of stuff I've seen about how he's going to benefit from the shift. Uh, so I'm sure some of that is legit. But uh, yeah, what are your what are your thoughts on uh, Seager at that price? And do you have any thoughts on any of those other players that I mentioned? What was funny is that I was going to ask, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you because you know I hold you in high regard as a player. And you know that I feel that you're a smarter person than I am and a better baseball mind than I am about these things. I, I don't understand the love affair with Seager. Um, I feel like there are safer guys to take at that position than Seager. And I, I guess if you miss out on the top five or six, then you look at that and say, oh, there's a guy that can hit 30 home runs, but he's got a bulky bat. Um, he's not getting any younger. He doesn't really give you anything in terms of speed. The batting average is meh. And, and so I mean, you're, you're, if you're looking at him, I guess it depends on your roster construction and you think about the power that he brings you and the that's fine. I, I've never been a huge I have to have Corey Seager guy. The one guy of that list that I really like, and I also took in the draft that I'm in, is Adolis Garcia. Uh, I think he's got another level to get to. I, I think Levi said in our interview that, you know, people forget it, even though he's 30 years old. He's only been in the league for three years. And so he's been learning on the fly. He's adjusting. He's obviously got an immense amount of natural talent. And I, I think he could really explode. I mean, I, he's another guy I think that could, you know, easily do 30 home runs and, and 20 stolen bases, you know, maybe 15, maybe 20. But, you know, with, with the way that the game looks like it might be changing this year, he might be a really valuable guy and kind of be flying under the radar. I mean, those are, those are outfield number one statistics that you might be getting from out of lease. And I think, um, I took him as my outfield one in that league. I, I, I waited on outfield, um, which may or may not have been smart, but um, we'll see how that plays out. But I, I, I was fully comfortable taking him where I got him. Yeah, he's interesting, too, because I think people, even though its ADP has obviously risen quite a bit from last year, um, you know, looking at this poll, he only garnered 8% of the vote. Uh, so I think people, you may, he may be a player that falls in some drafts because nobody wants to be the, oh, I'm buying into Adelis Garcia after he had his career year, right? People don't want mm -hmm. to, people feel like they're going to look silly taking him. Um, so there could be a, a buying opportunity in some drafts on it. And I agree. I mean, he, he presents that power speed combo that we're, we're looking for, right? Right. Um, so he's another guy that I think is fine at his ADP. Uh, I'm usually reluctant when guys jump so much, uh, in ADP from one year to the next, but I, I think he just, he went up another level. He developed, you know, and I, I'm, I'm okay buying in. If you plug in his projection, so he's going at 62, maybe not as much of a value. Um, when I plug in his projection, 
that is making him the 85th ranked player. Uh, mm-hmm. But you also have to remember these projections are looking at multiple years uh, prior yes. and factoring that into their projections. So it's possible that, again, you know, when these guys take a step forward and become a, a different player, so to speak, that's not necessarily going to reflect in the projections too well. So, uh, again, I, I, I'm on board. I, I think he is uh, a fine pick. He's going to play. You know, that was a concern last year. We didn't know if he was definitely going to keep the job. One thing, this is one lesson that I learned last year, though, when I, I, I faded him and I was, I went back and looked. I'm like, what did I miss with him? Uh, cause in hindsight, it was like, he was going past pick 200. Why the mm-hmm. hell would I not take a guy mm-hmm. who presents that power speed top? And at the time, it was a playing time. I wasn't 100% sure he was going to keep the job. But then I looked, his defensive numbers were outstanding. So that's something we need to consider when we're looking at you know, is a player going to be in the lineup? And I've failed to do this in the past. Look at their defensive value because that matters. Yes. You know, we, we have to look at that. So that was what I missed. And I mean, that was a big miss, right? Because if you had uh, Garcia last year, that was a huge boom for your Yo, for uh, sure. fantasy team. Well, I, I took him in the, the draft that I'm doing right now. I, I took him in the fifth round uh, at pick. 59, and he was the 15th outfielder off the board. And he was my outfield number one. There were seven outfielders that went in the first round in this draft. So I felt really comfortable getting him as a, as a base. I, to me, there's not that he, – he provides more value, more value to the team that I was trying to create than some of the guys that went around him, which were like Eloy Jimenez, Corbin Carroll, Starling Marte, Teoscar Hernandez, George Springer. I'd rather have Garcia than any of those guys, personally. Right now, that could change in a month. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I'm on board with that. Uh, definitely over like a Corbin Carroll. I know there's a lot of hype and the prospect pedigree, but there's some question marks there. Like you said, there's question marks with a lot of these players. Starling Marte, his health, you know. Um, yep. So, yeah, I, I'm on board with you. Um, so transitioning here, I wanted to just touch on a, a few players that, that um, uh, from the interview, like I, I went back and, and thought about it a little bit more. And, and one player that we talked about during the interview, uh, as far as his playing time, was Bubba Thompson. And mm-hmm. I think he's a really, really interesting guy. I mean, he's more of a deep league play, right? If you're in a 12-team league, he's, he's probably going undrafted. Uh, but in 15-teamers, He's going around, I want to say around pick 341 right now. I pulled up last month of uh, draft champions drafts on NFBC. So pick 341, I'm pretty interested in him at that price. And and there's a lot of question marks, right? Um, You know, we talked about, uh, Levi was saying that his projection right now, of 311 plate appearances, he thinks it's either going to be much lower than that Mm -hmm. uh, or much higher. So there's a lot of variance with that pick, but you know he's he talked about his speed. He may be the fastest player in baseball, and then you add in, you know the uh, the bigger bases. So he's probably. I mean, when he gets on base, it's pretty much guaranteed that he's going to at least attempt to steal. Um, and the other thing with Bubba Thompson is that he's not 
a complete zero in terms of power. Like he showed that he can give you a little something there. So I realized that he could completely bust and be a zero for your team. But I think the upside, like let's say I draft 10 teams, I'm probably going to want him on two to three teams at that price. Mm -hmm. If he hits, like if he, let's say he gets 500 plate appearances, those stats, the amount of stolen bases that he's going to give you without necessarily crushing you in power is going to be so, so valuable. So wondering what you think about him. Yeah, you know, I'll be honest. I mean, I knew I saw him play a little bit last year when he was playing against the White Sox, and the speed obviously leaps out at you. But I did a little bit of deeper dive on him the other night after we were done talking to Levi, and I didn't realize a few things about him. He's a first round pick. There's there's right. definitely draft pedigree there, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that. And I look at his minor stats, and he's a double digit home run guy the last couple of years. Um, he's been a rising star in their organization, and he steals bases. I mean, last year, I think he had 18 at the major league level, but he had 49 in AAA. I mean, so this is a guy that it's going to be hard for them to keep him off the field, I think, because I don't think unless they get Brian Reynolds or somebody like that during spring training, there's a clear path to opportunity for this guy to be able to play. There's nobody in left field in Texas that's going to overwhelm you uh, with what they're bringing to the table at this point. So the job could be his if he hits at all. And uh, I think that that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Because definitely, with the premium that we've placed on stolen bases, and even if you think this year that you need fewer stolen bases to get there, if this guy hits and isn't a complete zero in the power department, like you said, Torres, this could be a guy that could shoot up draft boards um, if he's going to get the opportunity to be able to play. Because where are you going to find guys that are not complete zeros in other categories that are going to give you 30 to 35 stolen bases? Absolutely. It's a, it's yeah. a wasteland, you know? I want to compare him to another player who I, I, I think is a, a similar archetype. It is Jorge Mateo, who's going mm-hmm. 150 picks earlier. There are questions around his playing time. Maybe they're, he's a little bit safer in that regard, but um, really they're not that different. And, and maybe Bubba Thompson, I would say he has better better power. And we still, I think there's more upside because he's younger. We don't really know what he is yet. So I'll absolutely take Bubba Thompson almost 150 picks later after a guy like Jorge Mateo. So Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'll have Mateo anymore. I don't think he can hit. Right, right. And especially with that team, it's not like last year we said, well, maybe the Orioles are just so bad they don't care. They're just going to run them out there, which it kind of happened, right? Uh, maybe not. They got better, but. This year, it sounds like they really are. They have younger guys coming up. They they want to at least take a step forward. So, I get his defensive value uh, for Mateo, but uh, if he doesn't hit, then yeah, I, I think there's definitely a chance of him losing playing time. So, well, sure, and he could be in a position there too, right? I mean, they've got a Gold Glove third baseman, they've got Gunner, and they also signed Adam Frazier. So, right. exactly. that could be really hard to come by for him there. Speaking of which, if he wants to come and play second base for the White Sox, that would be okay. There you go. Yeah, uh, that could. <laughs> uh, I mean, I know you're uh, it, you're a Larry Garcia guy. Don't, don't <laughs> do it. Now, if you really want to make my day, now figure out a way to bring Tony Larusa into this mix. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, we already did. We did earlier. Um, but uh, moving on, one other player uh, quickly I want to touch on. Actually, two players. Uh, first one here is Andrew Heaney. 
So he's another interesting guy because he's going around pick 200, maybe a, a little later than that in these drafts over the past month. And so this is since he signed with Texas. So that is this ADP is factoring that in. Um, I went in and looked at Andrew Heaney, did a deeper dive here. If you look at his skills from last year, they were on par with some of the top pitchers in baseball. I mean, if, if you pull up just a K-minus walk percentage uh, leaderboard, and I know that he didn't, he pitched like 70 innings, and there were a lot of injury issues, and that's really the thing with him, is that he does have a history uh, of a lot of different injuries. So I get there's elevated risk there, but he was right that his K-minus walk percentage, the pitchers that were on that board, I think he was third. If you put the minimum qualifier at 70 innings pitched, um, he was third in baseball in K minus walk. And, you know, we have so many fancy stats now to measure pitching, but really K minus walk percentage kind of gets you like 75% of the way there when you're analyzing a pitcher. Um, and, and the names around him were, were DeGrom, Strider, Nola, uh, Cole, like all guys going in the first couple of rounds. And then you got Andrew Heaney, which kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. So I just think he's really interesting where he's going. I mean, I'm not counting on him for all of a sudden giving you 200 innings. You know, we talked about uh, the Rangers and, and how there's just so much risk in that rotation. And, and also, let's consider, maybe they go to a six-man. That would make too much sense, right, with all of that risk. Um, but with Heaney, if he gives you 100 innings at, with near the, like, if he p- repeats those skills, like, 90%. That's a pretty valuable pick, in my opinion. So, quickly, what are your thoughts on him? Well, you're causing me to reconsider my thoughts because of your deep dive and looking at the statistics. Because when I look at the statistics on the surface, you know, I see a guy that's, um, uh, career-wise has an ERA of four and a half, um, is not had a lot of wins. I mean, his high watermark for wins in any year is nine. Um, strikeouts last year were out of this world, as you pointed out. And I'll be honest. I mean, I, I think he's a ticking time bomb. I mean, he's 31. He's not, um, somebody that I have real high in my radar. I, I honestly think that he would be best suited in a bullpen stopper role. And you might remember when we were talking to Chris Cotillo of the Red Sox, I had made mention that, boy, I would see him in a two or three inning role and he could just really be lights out and just completely go all the way out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would really like to see him in that role because I just don't think he's got the durability to be able to stand up to being a full-time starter. But the way that you put it and the way that you look at it, and it gives me that perspective that I'm missing sometimes, which is, boy, if he even approached 90% of what he was last year, this could be a guy that's really valuable in a limited number of innings. And I think because I'm old, one of the things that always kind of comes to my mind when I think about starting pitching is I sort of default to that which guy's going to give me 180 to 200 innings? Well, those guys don't really exist anymore. Those are called unicorns. And we, we don't see very many of those guys anymore. So I have to adjust my expectations to that. When you talk about him and the way that you talk about him and where he's being drafted, boy, that sounds like it could be a really interesting pick there. I mean, if if you're really looking at him and, and, and saying, if I get 100 innings of this, well, I'm going to be really happy, then I think you've got a really solid player on your hands there. So it causes me to sh- sort of shift my thinking a little bit um, on how I've thought about him prior. Well, I'm glad I, uh, uh, you know, had you reconsider here. I'm not saying that he's a a slam dunk at that price. I just think he's interesting. Another guy that I'll probably, I'd want some exposure to, 
you know, and it obviously depends also on, on what the rest of my team looks like. And do I have other arms that I, I feel are, are more reliable for those innings? But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think he is, um, definitely an interesting player, especially with the, the, uh, dead end ball that we have now. You know, his bugaboo before was the home run ball. And he's still, it was still elevated last year, but, you know, even just a slight reduction in that, uh, because he's a high fly ball pitcher and he's going to a park that's not, uh, that's not really a hitter's park. So that's, that's a, a plus for him. Probably more of a pitcher's park than Dodger Stadium. So yeah, I, I think, I think there definitely can be value, ha- um, to be had with Andrew Heaney. Um, the other guy quickly, and this is kind of the opposite of someone who I feel like may be overdrafted right now, is Josh Young. Um, he's going around pick 210 right now. And I'm just a little skeptical of him at that price. I'm sorry, actually pick 222 uh, over the past month. So I just look at some of the names going around him and I get it. Like from a dynasty perspective, my, my views on him haven't really changed. But for this year, I'm not really sure if I'm interested in him at that price. I mean, if he goes out in the fr- in you know the first month or two and looks the same way or even similar to how he did at the end of last season, I get it, limited sample. But um, there are guys there that the Rangers, I'm sure, are comfortable plugging in. I mean, they played Ezekiel Duran there quite at, at third base last year. He's still on the team. Maybe they plug in mm-hmm. like a, a Josh Smith. You know, so like if he struggles, I don't think the Rangers are are going to be hesitant to maybe send him back down or, you know, give give him some more time. So at that price, I'm not really interested. It's not like he's giving you speed or anything like that. No. I mean, uh, I'm looking at like a Justin Turner who's going after him. And I'm like, we'd be happy if Josh Young is Justin Turner next year, right? <laughs> so oh, yeah. I'm, just, I'm a little confused yeah. by how high he's going. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I the thing I remember most about him is uh, I know Levi pointed out that he hit a he hit a few home runs right off the bat. I mean, I think he had four or five home runs on the the whole season, um, about you know, a month's worth of games in Texas, if I recall. But the thing that I really recall was the strikeouts. I mean, he's striking yeah. out at a a prodigious yeah. clip, and I I just don't know that if he continues in that route, if if this is a team that's hoping to contend for a playoff spot. That they can run that out there every day. He might need a little bit more time. Still pretty young, pretty young guy, right? 23, 24. So, um, I, I'm not, I'm not super high on him at that point. Let's hope he doesn't turn into like a Kesson hero, right? A guy who we thought had a really good hit tool coming up and then just doesn't work, you know, at the major league level. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that that's going to be him. And I, I don't think those strikeout issues are representative of, of who he is as a hitter. Uh, but, I I just think for this year, I think we have to be a little hesitant with him. So and yeah. he probably I'd imagine he's going to be hitting lower in the lineup. You know, there there's a lot of issues there, a lot of risk that I I think is uh, I don't want at that point in the draft. You know, if we're talking exactly. past pick three hundred, I could overlook a lot of that. You know, sure. questions around playing time and you know other risk, but yeah, not not at that price. Yeah, he's but, a uh, he had 39 strikeouts in 102 plate appearances last year, so that's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, that, that is rough. But uh, anyway, we are—we uh, already went really long, so <laughs> we're going to wrap up here. Um, Carlos wasn't able to join us, uh, so 
I just wanted to say something quickly. You know, last time we did our, our mental health minute and talked about something that's helping us maintain wellness. And, um, you know, I bring up Carlos, uh, just cause I'm sure, you know, people are wondering where he is, but I just want to say he is doing something that's much more important than this, uh, and supporting a friend of his who's really in need. And, you know, that just speaks to the person that he is. Uh, but I also want to bring that up and, and kind of, uh, kind of tying it into this, uh, you know, mental health minute that we, we talked about, like just the, just the idea of supporting others, um, you know, who, who are struggling, um, is not only just a good thing to do as a human, obviously, uh, but I think that's also something that is beneficial for the person who's helping, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I think sometimes we get wrapped up in like our own issues and sometimes one of the best thing there's, uh, in uh, dialectical behavior therapy, there's, uh, DBT, baby. DBT, yeah. So, you know, uh, for those who don't know, I'm a therapist and, uh, you know, Mike is, uh, he works in special ed, so he's very well versed in this stuff. And, you know, there, there's, they talk in there about the idea of contributing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how that, that can really be like a, a coping skill. You know, it gets us out of our, our own head, our own problems. So that's just something I want to put out there. You know, is if you if you're struggling yourself, sometimes it's getting out of your own issues and doing something to help another person. You know, again, just just being a good human is is important. But like there, there's also and that's research proven too. like just doing that is, is also beneficial for our overall well-being. So, Mike, anything quickly to to add to that? So very, very well put. I, I find the same thing to be true for me that. The less time I spend in my own head, usually the better. The more time that I spend trying to help others directly, whether it be through school, through church, through my friendships around town here, the better I feel about things in general. And I think we we all owe it to ourselves to do that. I think one thing I also like to say too is for those of us that work in this, you know, it, it can be very difficult for those for us to um, continue to give to the people that are around us, you know, so making sure that you're reaching out to people and the new year provides a, a new set of opportunities for us to do that, but it doesn't have to be a new year to make changes. If you're interested in making changes, you know, our DMs are always open. If you need resources or if you're looking for somebody to talk to, um, we've got resources that we can help you with with that. So that's way more important than anything we do baseball wise for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, we are going to leave it there. Um, our next episode is going to be focused on the Mets. Uh, we have a beat writer coming on um, that we are, are still we're still trying to uh, nail it down. But the plan is to record that uh, on Tuesday. And then we, we've got some good episodes coming up. We've got Sarah Sanchez uh, in a few weeks to break down the Cubs. Uh, so and then we're we're working on a few others. So we got a hopefully some. Really good content coming out. We're, we're trying hard to, uh, to keep putting this out there. So again, uh, we appreciate you listening. So, uh, for Carlos, for Mike, for myself, thank you for listening to Fantasy Baseball Beat.